over his shoulder, down the rise over which he just ascended, the scene behind Jesus is a scene still atmosphered with amazement, shock, fear. Thousands of people on their knees next to the Jordan River, afraid to look upward at that hole in the sky through which a voice just spoke and a dove descended. John the Baptist, the only one looking skyward, still standing in the river, a great joyful smile on his face, the look of a man who knows the purpose of his life is positively completed. Jesus crests the hill, walking westward, leaving behind him John the Baptist, all the people for he knows not how long. It had occurred to him at the very moment of the dove and the voice. Into the wilderness, a word, it was spoken to him. He descends that hill, following a twisting goat path away from the riverside, away from trees and vegetation, into the red-brown world of the wilderness. He walks on through the whole afternoon. Before him stretches a limitless vision of rising rocky hills and sandy hollows. The sun overhead is scorching as he walks along the cracked, dusty way. The only sounds are the endless gusting of the wind, the distant sounds of desert animals baying, and his own low, rattling breath. By evening, he has arrived to where he senses the Spirit sends him, to a place of absolute solitude. He sits down upon a rock. Another slab is behind him. He leans back upon this pair of stones like a chair. Over the next 40 days, the constant winds will settle sand and dust and dirt into the fabric of his tunic. It will eventually appear orangish-red like everything else that surrounds him. What does he do there? He waits and listens. He is still and silent before his father and their spirit. Listening through the days and weeks to follow, he is reminded internally and audibly of promises and words, perhaps such as these. You are my servant, my son, whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. I have put my spirit upon you, and you will bring justice to the nations. You will pour water on the thirsty land, O my son, and streams upon the dry ground. We will pour out our spirit upon your offspring, our blessing upon those to follow. One day, you will ascend on high, bringing with you many captives. You will receive gifts from, of, people, even the rebellious. Our spirit is upon you, my son, for I have anointed you to preach the gospel, the good news to the poor. I have sent you to proclaim freedom to the prisoners and recovery of sight to the blind to send out the broken in deliverance, to herald the year of our great favor, our jubilee. Yes, I have given you authority 
glory, and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language will worship you. Your dominion is an everlasting dominion that will never pass away. And your kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. Morning, noon, night, and even through the watches of the night, the Son of God soaks within the language and the import of words such as these spoken by his Father. Everything around him, the wilderness, the animals, the 40-day hunger that grows and grows, diminishes. The reality of the Father becomes reality. Jesus of Nazareth is a son, one who will be watched over, possessed by the purposes of heaven, obsessed with the will of his Father, an eternal king of an everlasting dominion that cannot pass away. On the 40th day, he is looking out over the scarred, pitted outcropped rocks and spiny backed ridge lines into a distance even beyond the horizon. And a dark figure is approaching him from behind. Jesus hasn't yet noticed. He simply continues looking outward, westward. A temptation he has already overcome is about to begin. Well, my friend, as I have sat and pondered those 40 days, and actually have given you what I would describe as the pregame to what is described in the Gospels, the temptation of Jesus by the evil one, I wonder what it is you're noticing as you pay attention to the way that I describe his journey there. Maybe perhaps some of the words from the Father he would have heard prior to the temptation. What sticks out to you? I always encourage you, if there's something that you even want to talk about with regard to this, reach out, text me, call. For me personally, I've meditated on that passage and even sort of this imagined envisioning of it in concert with those famous words from Ephesians 6 regarding the armor of God. So what I want to do is walk you through that section from Ephesians 6, starting, I believe it is in verse 10, and I'll read you just little snippets of the verses with some thoughts interspersed that tie back in to the completed temptation of Jesus. So let's go on from Ephesians 6. In conclusion, be strong, not in yourselves, but in the Lord, in the power of His boundless resource. You see, the secret of the strength that Jesus showed against temptation, in my opinion, was the sourcing of that strength directly from the Father. I think we often neglect the 40 days beforehand. Oh yeah, that was just his time of fasting. Without thinking of the following fact. 960 hours. That's how much time he was alone in the Spirit before the Father. Don't you think that really nothing stands a chance before that kind of abiding? Back to Ephesians 6. Put on God's complete armor so that you can successfully resist all the devil's methods of attack. Which is a really interesting phrasing in this translation, the Phillips. 
Because you see, in Luke's account of the temptation itself, I want you to listen to how the devil then slinks away. This is from Luke 4.13. Listen. And when he, the evil one, had exhausted every kind of temptation, the devil withdrew until his next opportunity. Hear those words again. Every kind of temptation. That is what was offered to Jesus. So what were they? The temptation to doubt his sonship before the Father, not to trust the Father for his provision, to make himself, not the Father, the center of his existence, and to elevate the earthly above the Father. Friends, those are every kind of temptation that you and I will ever face in this life, and it is finished. We too are sons and daughters of the Father. He will provide for us. He delights to make himself the center of our lives. The earth and its ways and means will fade and pass away. But, friends, let's remember who we are. I'll read on. For our fight is not against any physical enemy. It is against organizations and powers that are spiritual. We are up against the unseen power that controls this dark world and spiritual agents from the very headquarters of evil. So, to reiterate, followers of Jesus are not against people, not against humanity, whether collectively or individually. We are called to live the opposite way to much of what the world considers right, but in such a way that it attracts people. We are the advertisement for the kingdom of heaven, not denunciators. We don't need to trumpet, in fact, what we're against. We need to live fully for what we're for. Ephesians 6 again. Therefore, you must wear the whole armor of God. And I'll just say, note that. Everything to come is all necessary. So again, therefore, you must wear the whole armor of God that you may be able to resist evil in its day of power, and that even when you have fought to a standstill, you may still stand your ground. And right here, I want to make a statement that's a bit subtle, a little nuanced, but I think we can all handle some subtlety now and then. The fight for the Christian is not some battling on behalf of this big historical construct known as Christianity or Christendom. We are not engaged in a culture against culture, call it holy war. The fight, the one that Paul is talking about here, is for ongoing, daily, never-ending experience of the Christ who is the only center for what this is. The battlefield is, yes, every day. It is spiritual, and it is only to be fought by you at the level of your individual self. But again, it is not a bunch of warriors fighting on behalf of a system of theological philosophical understandings. It is individuals battling to stay in the presence of the one incarnating, embodying all those understandings. In fact, listen on. We're going on now. Take your stand then, and I'm going to say to you, remember, you and I require all of these. Take your stand then 
with truth as your belt, righteousness your breastplate, the gospel of peace firmly on your feet, salvation as your helmet, and in your hand, the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God. Above all, be sure to take faith as your shield, for it can quench every burning missile the enemy hurls at you. Pray at all times with every kind of spiritual prayer, keeping alert and persistent as you pray for all Christ's men and women. Friends, let me make this stupidly simple so it's simple and clear for our hearts today. The truth is Jesus. Jesus has already made us righteous. The gospel is the good news of heaven about Jesus. Our salvation is the free gift of Jesus. The word is Jesus himself. Our faith is belief and trust in Jesus. We talk to the Father through the way that Jesus made. In fact, Paul, in his letter to the Roman believers, actually said this section better even, maybe more succinctly for certain, when he said, put on the Lord Jesus. Your and my everyday work is what? Abiding in Jesus. Because abiding is what? Going inside, living, again, putting on. Last section from Ephesians 6. And pray for me too, that I may be able to speak freely here to make known the secret of that gospel for which I am, so to speak, an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may speak out about it as, my, as it is my plain and obvious duty. And that's the ending in that section we were just reading is Ephesians 6, 10 through 20. Now, I don't know about for you, but for me, any time that Paul chooses to use the word secret, I am automatically sent to his most famous secret, one to which I guarantee we will keep coming back time and again. So listen, and if you recognize it, this is from Colossians 1. For I am a minister of the church by divine commission, a commission granted to me for your benefit and for a special purpose that I might fully declare God's word, that sacred mystery which up to now has been hidden in every age and every generation, but which is now as clear as daylight to those who love God. They are those to whom God has planned to give a vision of the full wonder and splendor of his, listen, secret plan for the nations. And the secret is simply this, Christ in you. Yes, Christ in you in you, bringing with him the hope of all the glorious things to come. My wonderful friends, the secret of the armor of God, the secret of the battle against temptation, the secret of living out our daily lives in the kingdom of heaven is the realization that the kingdom is its king that the battle against temptation has already been fought and won, and that the whole armor of God is simply Jesus himself, who, let's remind ourselves of that secret one more time, lives within us. Thanks so much for listening.